Craig. We were worried about thunderstorms. Thought the offense would move and that Utah's DBs were nothing. <laughs> they didn't even need Zach Moss to get exposed no. like that in Utah. Just felt so rough. No, they didn't need Zach Moss. Not even close. Not even remotely. Now when you can throw the ball around, we'll get into that. Yeah, I mean that's uh you know, that's that's sort of the magic of football, right? Like if you can throw it, like who needs to run it? Yeah, who needs the guy that you normally run thirty times a game? But anyways, this <laughs> yeah. is podcast versus everyone. <laughs> if it was up to us, we'd never run the ball. Never. And uh never. Uh, and I'm never Craig punt. and we'd never punt. Never. Never kick. Never kick. Onside kicks every time. Yeah, all that sissy stuff. I'm Craig Powers. With me is Jeff Neusser. Hello. We are, it's just not as much fun to do this after losses, but here we are again. No, it's not. Like, <laughs> like okay, so obviously, number one, we typically come out with a show first thing Monday morning. Uh, it's Monday night, and it was sort of like, I don't know. Like, I think you were up for it. I was just sort of like, eh, I'm trying to finish my Monday column. And I was pretty happy we didn't. I was, uh, yeah, okay. Well, good. That makes me feel better. Cause I, I, I was went, just like, I went to bed at like 9 30. It was great. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously I want to talk about it, you know, and one of the things I love about this podcast and I think, you know, I think it comes through is that, you know, I, I love talking about kook sports with my buddy. And, you know, so there's a part of that that, that was like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to talk about this and debrief and, and decompress a little bit. And but it, it was a little different than at least for me than the UCLA game, because, you know, with UCLA, it was just like righteous anger. Right. Like, like I was just pissed. You were pissed. We were pissed. Like it was just like it was easy to be angry. Um, you know, I don't know how you get super angry when it's clear that you just got your ass kicked by a better team. Right. Like that's, and I don't know. I mean, I, I maybe some other people are taking away something different from this. Um, I, it doesn't seem like it in the comments of the, of the stories that we've written. I don't, I don't think people are, you know, sort of thinking, oh man, if we had just done this differently, I know that pe- some people are picking on the Borgie thing. I, I suppose we'll talk about that, but um, I mean, that seems like, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, when you lose by three and a half touchdowns, I, I'm not sure nitpicking who's getting touches inside the, the red zone is, is maybe the way to go. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, uh, you, you can, you know, be bummed about the red zone, but also they only got past the 40 four times. So like they that's had, bad. That's it. So I, I think a scoring opportunity as Bill Connolly defines it is having a first down inside the 40. They had yep. four, four of those the entire yep. game. Yep. That's of course bad. they only had 10 possessions as well. So, <laughs> yep. And I know that that was even less than what we thought, right? When we did yeah. the preview, we, we were said like 11 or 12, 11 or 12 and 10. It was mostly because of that crazy third quarter. Like that's, that's, that was reminiscent of what was, uh, Oh, it was what the second quarter, right? Under uh, with Houston, right? Where they had the big long drive and held the ball for most of the quarter. So anyway, it just yeah, you know, I mean, uh, they were pretty much dominated in, in in virtually every way you can imagine getting dominated, and uh, that's a little sobering. We haven't we haven't had that happen in a uh, in a non Apple Cup in a while. Yeah, not for a couple of years. Of course, in 2017, it was either they got their butts kicked or they 
or they uh yes won like there was no yeah. in between yeah um so probably yeah the 20 well even last year's apple cup wasn't that thorough of a no whipping. um like yeah so yeah the, the yeah. that was the the defense the the uh the disappointing thing and the kind of thing that we were worried about in the preview, when we were talking about Huntley and he's improved his arm and improved his passing ability. Like, you know, they, they had done reasonably well against UCLA stopping the run, but it was the chunk plays in the passing game. And once again, um, Utah, just like UCLA, uh, was just as, you know, passing, and get doing whatever they want in the passing game, really. Um, even drawing, um, even even you don't you factor in the stats. There was a couple, you know, uh, pass interference penalties in there as well. Um, they were just not having any trouble against the secondary. Um, pressure was inconsistent, uh, particularly on passing downs um, when you're supposed to know they're they're <laughs> they're gonna throw. Um, uh, if you if you look at uh, I, one of the nice things uh, um, about doing this later is that uh, and and the nice things about being kind of a an interesting game to people is that um, uh, Bill Connolly did his uh, uh, his um, uh, like his advanced advanced box, box score. score yeah uh, basically you can see you can tell the story in that game largely based on how each team performed on passing downs. Yeah. Um, WSU did a reasonably good job um, staying on schedule. Like they, they, their success rate was pretty high in every quarter, but the second quarter, um, and that was obviously crucial. They, they blew an opportunity to take the lead yep. um, on a turnover in the second quarter, um, and then they, they had a, a kind. Of, they had some other good field position that stalled out. You know, that in the around the thirty-three, and then Maza hits his longest field goal. Which, by the way, hey, we have a kicker. Yeah, um, I, I wish wish we never had to use them, but yeah, um, hey, I, you know, I mean, I, I give him a shout out in my column uh, as I was like, str- you know, struggling to think of what we liked. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what did I like? What did I like? What? Did, oh, hey, we hit, we hit a couple field goals and the punting was okay, and Travell Harris had some nice returns. So yeah, we actually yeah, had special uh, teams. Let's go. We had really good average field position. <laughs> <laughs> compared to utah thank you for the average field position so yeah this kid would have looked worse if not for the special teams yeah uh, that's because passing downs uh anthony gordon on passing downs was seven of 16 for 79 yards yeah that pick. sounds about right picking a sack yeah it was bad. um on the other side huntley was eight of 11 for 111 yards yeah on passing downs yeah include i mean a lot of that is that third and 15 when they got a 41 yarder yeah well they also they converted uh i i think i counted it and and i don't even know if i got them all when i did the recap i counted them up and it was there were uh four different third and 11 plus conversions um and that was just on what i put on the recap i don't know if that was all of them, or if that was just most of the third and long conversions that they had. And then there were some others where they they went from, if I remember right anyway, you know, it, the mind does funny things, right? When you're like, it was all bad, but um, I seem to remember some third and longs that turned into some fourth and shorts, and then they converted a couple of those. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was demoralizing. It, it was difficult. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that we were as close to stopping them as some of our fans seem to think with the, with the third and longs that they converted. Um, you know, I just got this sense that Utah was just sort of dicking around a little bit and, and not in a, uh, you know, not in a, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to say this, like not, not like they were screwing around, but just like they were purposefully, uh, trying to make sure that they were taking time off the clock. Right. Um, and I, I, I gotta think that somewhere in the back of Kyle Whittingham's mind was the fact that two of the last four times we've played, we've come back on him in the fourth quarter. And he was like, I, I, I gotta think he was determined, um, not to let that happen again. And I, and I know there's an element of playing with fire a little bit there. If you're like run, run, convert third and long run, run, convert third and long, you know, which was kind of what they were doing, but right. they were doing it, <laughs> you know, it and like, it's not, they, those, they those were, third and they 11s, had no problem converting third and long guys you know? were and open was, or, yeah, or like pass interference got, or whatever. They weren't you know? even really worried about it, you know, and they were, and that's how you get those, you know, seven and a half, eight minute drives, those crazy drives where it's like, you know, there's just these soul crushing conversions but the reality is it's not like they were making these ridiculous plays to convert, you know, at those distances. I mean, they'd run, run and third and long, and then somebody's running wide open, you know, without anybody on the screen defending them. It's, um, you know, it was hard to watch. It was frustrating. And, and you know, I got the feeling Utah could have put up 50 if they'd wanted to. Yeah. Um, if they had really pressed the tempo and kept, and, and really, you know, pushed the ball well, and... Utah had Utah to. had nine drives and they had scoring opportunities on seven. Right. Um, the the average is to have scoring opportunities on a little less than half of your drives. Yep. Um, and they had them on what that's like seventy seven percent or yep. whatever. Um, yep. Yeah, that's it's crazy. I mean, they had they had nine drives and they racked up five hundred twenty six right. yards. That's, when you've got a defensive head coach, they don't really care about putting up fifty. You know, they just they just want to win and and if it's comfortable, that's fine. But it's like. You know, they really just want to win, and yeah, I, I don't think Whittingham cared one iota about, you know, running up the score and, and rubbing it in on Leach. And, well, yeah, 50, so. 58 yards per drive. Yeah. Um, they were they were doing well with their opportunities, too, 5.43 points an opportunity. Man, they, they just were really just doing whatever they wanted. Um, and even, yeah, even when you're forcing those certain longs, you're feeling like the defense is doing something. But again, like it was right. just so easy for them to convert yep. on those third and long. So it just didn't seem to. Yeah. Didn't seem that should to be our defensive motto. It feels like we're doing something. Yeah. But not really. Well, if we, if we go back to kind of how the game played out, um, you know, the, the Kooks definitely in the second quarter, you know, they got that the first drive to tie the game. It was not chunk plays that you expect, but it but guys they were working the middle. Guys were guys were open. They were moving the ball. It looked like okay, um, we're going to be able to you know find some way to move the ball today. Um, after the first drive didn't look so good, but um, yeah, uh, really in the second quarter when the game was still you know close, um, they blew some opportunities to get more points on the board and that that was that you kind of you had that feeling when that happened just the way how it was how how difficult it was to move the like they just weren't getting those chunk plays 
um, that they've been getting all season. Um, you kind of got this feeling when they blew those opportunities that it was going to be rough because it just only seemed a matter of time before our defense was going to start giving up points. Yeah. And, you know, what really changed is uh, WSU came up probably its best defensive stand of the day, stops them on fourth and one, probably the best play of the day they did on defense. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think it was it Hobbs and, uh, and Rogers. I, I can't remember who, who got yeah, that. I think that's, I think that's yeah. probably about right. Um, Hobbs had a pretty good game. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, they get the ball. I can't remember where it was. It was near the 50 plus territory mm-hmm. and only got that they, they can only muster a field goal out of it. And yeah. it's 14 to 13. Utah has three minutes yep. left. They go down and score. And then it's, I mean, it's essentially like it. Yeah. I mean, when they, when Utah got the field goal to start the second half after that, like eight minute drive, it just, it, that felt like all they needed. Yeah, and obviously was, but it just felt you just felt like Ugh. yeah, the the stretch that really decided it was basically I think what you were talking about. You know, you had and 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 we sit here and we say you know we didn't have the chunk plays, but we did have some. Like it wasn't um, we weren't totally devoid of those the entire game. Um, that sequence you were talking about. So the drive before the fourth down stop, um, you know, we had gains of fourteen and nineteen through the air, one to Renard Bell, one to Des Patman. Um, We got all the way down to Utah's 34. So we went from, you know, our own 25 to Utah's 34 in about five plays, didn't face a third down. Like that was a good looking drive. And then all of a sudden it's three incompletions and 51 yard field goal. It's like, shit, you know, it's so, you know, so you're driving and then all of a sudden it stalls, right? So you end up, you set settling for a field goal and, you know, awesome that we had a 51 yard field goal. That's great. And that didn't feel like a huge, um, you know, like some sort of huge problem in the sense that, okay, we moved the ball that drive, you know, we go get a field goal, like, like, okay, we're, we're like, we're doing the thing, right? Well, and then we get the fourth down stop and you're like, okay all right, you know, we're, we're doing this. Like, like, this is great. Um, and then, you know, the next drive again, not completely devoid of, you know, plays we had, you know, there was a completion to Aesop for 19 yards and, um, and then there was another uh, completion to Aesop for 11 yards. Um, you know, so they were moving the ball. Okay. You know, kind of, and again, after starting in pretty decent field position because of the fourth down stop, you know, on their own 38, 39, whatever it was. Um, and then, you know, you, you get rescued on fourth and 10 with a defensive holding. And so you're like, all right, well, here we go. You got to pass to Borgie that takes you down to the one. And then, you know, you got uh, an offside penalty and you're like, you know, it's first and goal. And, and then it's scramble for no gain, incomplete pass, two yard, no chance pass to Roderick Fisher. And that's the one I think that felt like mm-hmm. the really huge missed opportunity. I mean, you had uh, first and goal from the Utah nine, and you can't get past Utah's seven. And that is just like so. With a chance to take the lead. Yes, with a chance late to take the, the lead, second, right? Late, Even though at that point half. you feel like you've been probably outplayed a bit right like i mean you don't feel like you've gotten you know your face kicked in but you feel like okay we've we've been outplayed a little bit but we've got a chance to take a lead and then you get a field goal and then utah comes back with a touchdown you know right after that 
Uh, 10 plays, 75 yards, three minutes. And then, of course, they got the ball back to start the second half, put three more points on the board. And, you know, and suddenly, you know, an 11-point lead feels like this massively, you know, difficult hill to climb. And, of course, it, it proved to be. Well, and then, yeah. And w- when I was talking about the chunk plays, I wasn't meaning like 10, 15-yard plays. Sure, I mean, not more like the really the big 40 yard, yeah, yeah, like that that they've been getting all season up right. until now, the 40, 50, 60-yard. Yep. Yeah. touchdown place. didn't have one of those didn't yeah nothing and i'm that, not even it, sure how many i'll look while you're talking but i'm not even sure how many 20 plus plays we had we may not have had any i, yeah, I don't Let i don't know look. if i don't know if they had a single one but, I, i'm gonna um, look. keep talking yeah so uh yeah i think part of the reason and and, and it kind of seems like the team had that feeling gordon at least had that feeling too when they were down 24 13 I, I think he pressed a little bit yeah um he's um I I think what that UCLA game did is gave them maybe the offense this complex that they actually do have to score every time. Like when mm-hmm. you when you score sixty three in a game and you don't win, like you're gonna feel like we got to score every time. And I think that maybe has impacted um, Gordon a little bit um, in this game. And then he's playing a much the, easily the best defense that they've seen all year. And one of the, you know, obviously Cal and UW are probably better coming up and ASU even, maybe even too. Um, so, uh, so he's got to figure it out. But, but at the same time, it's like, uh, yeah, he, he seemed to be pressing. Um, you talked about in your column, the interception that he threw um, late uh, that just seemed like pressing. And, and so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it just uh, had that feeling 24. And then obviously when it got to 31, you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> Uh, just try to make it look better, which they couldn't. You know, they had another long drive down to what they got to the two <laughs> and right. uh, stopped on fourth down. And, um, yeah, so they, they – one, once again, we're talking about they only had four genuine scoring opportunities the whole game. And when you're when you're inside the 40 and when you're not getting the, ch- the big 40, 50-yard touchdowns um, to make up for that, um, you're not getting any special teams – you know, touchdowns, anything, any defensive touchdowns, that's going to be tough sledding. Um, yeah. And uh, obviously we were we were hoping, uh, based on what uh, Pittman of USC did to uh, to their corners, um, we were hoping that uh, um, WSU's uh, wide receivers could do the same, but they just couldn't. They, they, they weren't getting the separation regularly. Yeah, they um, really didn't do anything. Yeah, they were just were. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you you can blame Gordon for some of it, but and we did see we did get some uh, all twenty two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. I know it's so funny. I was watching people the bar and people and were I'm complaining, like, and I'm like, this what is awesome. You can see, but then you they would actually switch see this, everything. They would switch. They would switch between that and this ultra zoom. I'm just like, give me the all twenty two. I'd rather have the all twenty two than the ultra zoom. Yeah, like I don't need. Um, don't especially need to in our offense, faces. man. Yeah, yeah, like, and yeah, we know who they are. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so it was just, um, yeah, just a fucking rough night. I'm, yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. So you find it? You found what you're looking I, for? I did. So one play. One play of 20-plus yards, and it was a 21-yard gain. Anthony Gordon to Renard Bell in the, looks like, late first quarter. Was that not late, the touchdown? It, it was on the touchdown drive. So Okay. So, yeah, late first quarter, and then after that, there were only four other passing plays of 15 or more. Man, he averaged. So a couple of 19s, a couple of 15s. He averaged. And then we had one rushing play of 10-plus, and that was it. 
Gordon was averaging 10.3 yards for attempt coming into yeah. the game. He averaged five yards in yeah. attempt, yeah, which crazy. is really bad for a passing. passing. Yeah. That's really and, bad. You know, I do think there's – I think, you know, Leach talked about toughness after the game, and he, he made a comment about reading their own clippings. And, you know, it, it's sort of like, well, how does that square – with them just, you know, really getting shit on after the UCLA game, right? Like the whole team getting, you well, know, yeah, oh, you've blown this game. That's what we kind of, we kind of, we could buy into that when they're they're up big and then they just totally let down. But but when you just experienced a loss like that and then you come in, like what clippings were you reading before well, that? That's why I think he was actually talking about the offense. Yeah, like yep, I, yep. I, I think that's probably who he was talking to. And my guess is uh, I, I'd probably think he was probably focusing on the wide receivers and the, and the offensive line more than anything, um, particularly the receivers. You know, I'll be honest, watching the all 22, I was like, Oh shit, there's like nobody open. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm yeah. like, I don't, and You're that's, like, just throw it to Borgie. Just yeah, throw it to Borgie. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, um, quarterbacks can kind of, and look, you know, I didn't play quarterback. I'm, I'm certainly no quarterback expert. And, but it seems to me that, um, you know, quarterbacks can get, when, when their guys aren't getting open, um, they can kind of go one of two directions. Either they get the, you know, the Luke Falk happy feet, you know, check down variety, um, where they just sort of panic. Right. And they get like, you know, paralysis staring at it going, Oh my God, nobody's open. Um, or, and I think, I think an alternative is what we saw with Gordon, which is you just end up staring a guy down, you know, hoping a guy can, can beat a guy thinking, you know, right. okay, this is, this is like, my he'll one, come open again. He'll come up right. eventually. He usually this does. This is my one matchup that I think can win on this play. This is where I think the one hole will probably be like, so instead of going through your progression, because when you go through the progression, it's covered, 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 covered. Right. Instead, you're like, OK, I'm going to try and get into, you know, the right play. And then, you know, maybe that guy's going to come open eventually. And then, of course, that that has a whole host of other issues where, you know, you end up drawing um, other defenders. So, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't great all around. I, I don't I think that the receivers are probably getting torn apart a little bit for maybe not fighting as hard. Um, as they needed to, you know, I mean, things came pretty easy the first four weeks. Right. right. I mean, they. <laughs> You know, when you're breaking off 20, 30, 40, 50 yard plays pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, you know, th- it's human nature. Like, like we can all go, oh, well, geez, they should have more discipline than that. But it's like, come on. Like, it's human nature. When something comes easy for a while, you expect it to keep coming easy. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, I think somebody, you know, said, said it this way in one of the comment threads, which is the one that always pops up is that, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden the plan's out the window and, and, you know, and the receivers got, you know, they got punched in the mouth. I mean, uh, Utah went, you know, I mean, Utah challenged them and, and they did not, they did not rise to the challenge. And then of course the offensive line was, was not great. The left tackle in particular was, uh, you know, struggled pretty hard. So I, yeah. I think that when Leach was talking about the clippings, I, I'm pretty sure he was talking about the offense and just, you know, both the ability to to fight and then, you know, and maybe Gordon's ability to, um, you know, just accept what's there. And, you know, th- and that takes, you know, we, we joke about, you know, check down Charlie with, with Luke Falk or whatever, but, you know, obviously there's a little bit of in between and it takes a certain amount of mental toughness to say, 
okay, you know, I'm going to dump it off to the running back. We're going to get five yards and we're going to live to fight another day. We had the in-between last year. Right. We had the in-between last year. Um, and, and that's, there's a certain amount of, of toughness in, in sort of taking what you can get so that you can have another chance. Um, it's not always framed that way, right? Like, like, well, how is that tough? You're just checking it down. But it's like, you've got to resist the urge to try and win it with one throw, which eventually Gordon fell into in the fourth quarter. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think it'll be a learning experience. I think that uh, the offense still has great potential to be awesome. I think there's a good chance that this um, Washington notwithstanding is the best defense we face all year. And it might even be better than Washington. I'm not, I'm not convinced. You think better than Cal? I, yeah, you know, I, I will say this. I have not watched a lot of Cal this year. My, my knowledge of Cal's defense is pretty much limited to last year. Yeah. I mean, but fair enough. Even even if you're not, if you're looking at scores, if you're looking at box scores, Cal's defense hasn't, doesn't seem to have been the, um, dominant force. Um, if if you see, I mean, Washington only scored what 20 or whatever, but that's definitely Cal's, uh, best defensive performance this year was Washington. Um, But yeah, we, we just saw what, uh, you know, Arizona state in a limited possession game did to them. But Mm -hmm. I mean, Evan Weaver is amazing, but I don't really want to talk about Cal that much. Yeah. But yeah, we, we, we'll talk about Cal in like in in a month and a half. Um, But yeah. Or, you know, if we talk about the scores, we can get into that. But, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I just, I just don't have like, like I, I, this, we'll get into this more, uh, next week's podcast, we're going to get into kind of taking stock of the season. We didn't want to, cause we want to talk about basketball today. Sorry guys. Um, but, uh, but I, but, sh- I make no apologies. Yeah. For that. Oh yeah. We don't care. Um, we don't care. but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, God, but you know, this is more like, okay, we know like, now we we know who we are like it's the, i think so the now but now that the the last game becomes a little more frustrating because you're like sure. we might be clawing for six wins at this point sure. um but but i i what you said in your column is like they could be six or they could they could be they could be eight or they could be five and you wouldn't be that surprised by any of it right but that's because uh in 2015 they were two and two and then they rattled off like seven of eight, like so it's or six of seven. So it's like you know, you never know what these leech teams. They seem to correct themselves. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll get into that more next week. But yeah, yeah as far as this game goes, I'm just um, I I just mostly feel dumb that we kind of us like from our perspective <laughs> underestimated Utah a bit. Well, like I, I'm like okay. I mean, do you do you feel that dumb for? Because I mean, look, you and again, I. The fact that Utah, we feel, we both, I think, feel like Utah could have scored 50 if they'd wanted to. So, I mean, let's set that aside for a sec. Let's just assume that 38 points from Utah is actually... I mean, we both, we both I think you had Utah at 35 points and I, I had did. them at 37. Yeah. So I had 30, what I have, 35, 31 or something like yeah. that, right? For when, So, you know, the 38 is not surprising. What was surprising was the thirteen. I mean, do you do you feel foolish for putting so much stock in the offense going into that? Because I don't. I I, but. Uh, I I I I don't know if I feel foolish, but I feel like maybe we were un overestimating the defenses that they've played so far, and, and so like okay. particularly the their secondaries, like and 
Um, and then also facing an actually good defensive line. Like yeah. I made a made a big difference. Um, even though Gordon only got sacked once, he he had to run a bit. Yeah. Um, he had to move around a bit. Um, Do you feel like he was under like like undue pressure? Because no. Like I don't. No. no. Like I felt like it was. It wasn't. It wasn't I mean, anything. He had to move, and you know, I whatever, mean, but it's last not like year, he was constantly. I mean, being it's blasted. nothing. Nothing out of the order. I actually, I'll say when I was watching it, it felt more. But then I kind of went back, looked at the box score. I'm like, ah, he wasn't. I mean, I mean his issues weren't due to pressure. Yeah, it was. So the big thing is that we've talked all year about how the receivers are so good that yep. no one can cover them, yeah. Washington aside. Yes. Um, but now but we... they just we, got covered. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we kind of got... We kind of were sold on because of what Michael Pittman did. But, you know, one thing I said is that a big, strong, athletic receiver and uh, we... We don't have a receiver that's athletic as that guy. <laughs> athletic no. as that guy. No, that guy's a future They're, first or second yeah. round NFL pick. So, but we maybe have some receivers who are better college receivers than he is right now. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but no one that can literally just—I mean, Patman's the closest one, and he did not have a great game. He was nine targets, five catches. I think he was roughly at six yards of target. Yeah, he, he was also the guy that was probably open more than the other ones. Yep. So he his athleticism helped him. Um, but just the way Utah plays defense, they are trusting that you have to beat their guy. Yeah. And our guys were not being their guy. And I do, one thing I did want to talk about is Brandon Arcanado. And, like, is it is he really – like, is he that important? I So in a vacuum, no, I don't think. Like, like in, if we say, okay, is Brandon Arcanado the receiver super important? And it's like in a vacuum, no, I don't think so. But I think where he is important is in in sort of the butter, for lack of a better term, like the butterfly effect that comes from him being out. And, you know, I'm hoping to maybe get, you know, Brian Anderson or or Jesse Casino to write about this at some point, or maybe I'll just write about it. I don't know. But um, just kind of talking about why that is. So basically we were down to zero, zero Y receivers, right? Like, like because that obviously was, they're not playing Cassidy Woods that much. Right. So Cassidy Woods played a handful of snaps in this game and that was it. So yeah, for whatever reason, Bell they've over. decided they can't trust him or they don't want to use him or whatever, which is sort of bizarre to me, but that's what they've decided. Um, and so up until Arcanado got hurt, he was playing almost all of the snaps um, when Y was on the field, which was the majority of the time, right? So the majority of the time we are in te- what we call 10 personnel, right? One running back, four wide receivers, okay? So now what you've got, okay, so you take Arcanado out of there. Okay, so who's going to play Y? Well, what they've done is they've moved Renard Bell over to Y. Well, now, okay, so... And he got nine targets, which I guarantee is the most he's ever gotten. Yeah, and <laughs> so now he's out of position, right? And, and, and why look, does that matter? Like, I, I know you get to... So- yeah, so like I, I'm not com- like the expert on all of the nuances, but I know that it's a different position. Like you're, you're running different routes. Your cuts and you're, are different. Yeah, and it's you know you're moving from right to left, and you are, um, and just the you know when you call a certain play, 
he's running, he's now running a different route on that play than what he was running before. And just finding the soft spots and find, you know, just all of the little nuances that go into playing one of those receiver positions really well, you know, he's, he's now doing it from a different position. I mean, it's, you know, we talk about right tackle, left tackle. I mean, I, I think that's probably a pretty good comparison. You know, it's just not quite the same and there's timing issues and things like that. Okay. So you're doing that. So now you've taken this guy who is uh, typically rotating in with Travell Harris at H, and right. now he's not rotating. Playing in, roughly right? half the game. Exactly. So now he's not rotating in. So Travell Harris is playing most of the game, right? And then Bell is playing over here in this unfamiliar position. Playing most of playing the game. Playing most of the game. Um, and then the way that they – so instead of having other guys rotate in to give him breaks – um, what you noticed was that they were using 20 personnel to try and get guys breaks. So two running backs, three wide receivers. And, yeah. and so they're running this 20 personnel a ton. And it's like that sort of, you know, I don't know what kind of a, you know, a crimp that puts in the game plan or whatever, but it definitely, when you know, you know, basically instead of bringing in backup wide receivers, you're bringing in Dion McIntosh yeah. to get somebody a break. And so, you know, again, I, I, I just have to imagine that that ends up limiting some of what you can do and some of what you want to do and the ways that you might try to attack um, the other team. I, I just got it. So basically what you had through the first, you know, however many games is you had whenever they wanted to bring Arcanado off for a break, that's when they'd go to 20. Well, now what you've got is they're basically rotating these guys in. They're rotating Harris. So it, either Harris or Bell gets a break, right. they go to Harris 20. or Bell or McIntosh is on the sideline, right? So it's like one of those three guys is on the sideline. They're not all three on the field at the same time. And that's how they're getting their breaks. And we, so and, you'd, yeah, you'd right. bring in the 20 personnel. Harris would go off for a couple plays. And then he'd, you know, and so, yeah, it's, it, I think it really does sort of foul everything up. Um, it really does have like this ripple effect on the offense. And, and look, it's not a, it's not a thing where you go, that's why they scored 13 points. Right. I mean, it, it's right. But it, but it, you know, but it, yeah, but, but it, it has an, when impact, you're playing, a, especially you're playing the best even team playing all year and you're, you're, you know, you got not a hand behind your back, but you got a couple fingers down or whatever. Well, and, 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 and plus like Macintosh is just, he's been in this offense for a month. Right. He's, he's, he clearly is uncomfortable. Like, and he yeah. is, and he, you, you can see the, the ability there we've seen, but, um, but he's just, he's just not like making plays. And so, I mean, he did make a play against, uh, uh, New Mexico state or Northern Colorado. Yeah, I think it was the next uh, week. Northern, yeah, but, yeah against Northern yeah. Colorado, but, but, um, in garbage time in garbage time. But other than that, like he's, he, and has he did a, have the touchdown. He did score the touchdown against Northern Colorado. Yeah. No, against, against Utah. He was, that was him. So he, he did a little angle route out of the back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. To catch the touchdown. But, but, but yeah, but, but, but yeah, but he's just not, um, like it's uh, all these other touches were kind of painful to watch well, like again just, i think i just think that like you know and you like i said he's only in the he's pattern. On, yeah you want receivers in the <laughs> you pattern know. you don't want running backs in the pattern like he's in especially running like a guy that's only been in the offense for a month on a offense that is predicated on reps um so yeah it's just it, it it's the butter like it's just 
you have a you go from a guy who's been in the offense for five years to be someone who's yeah. been in the offense for a month right. on the field. Basically, you're trading reps for those right. two, and and then you have a then you have a guy who's playing a different position. He's been right. playing it for all of a week and they a half. They just do different things to the defense. Yeah, and because you like Renard Bell at four point nine yards a target is Renard Bell is usually like one of the he's most explosive, explosive guys. Yeah. So he's and and the position that he is playing is not typically the explosive one when ex- Renard uh, River Craycraft accepted but but like just that was just him um but so but Arcanado's been explosive like that I mean I mean he's been maybe not as explosive, I, I wouldn't say, he's but, not like I mean he's doing 15 to 20 yard catches yeah, but yeah, he's not that's that's fine. he's not you know he's not like Bell is like you know, break break away from the D guy. Of course, but now he's he's in this other position, and right. and and Anthony Gordon is probably not as comfortable with him as he is with Arcanado, no. honestly. No, like, certainly not. And so, yeah, it's just it's and you're crazy. missing Jameer Calvin. Like that's the other yeah. piece that we have. Yeah, to yeah. About. yep. You know, I mean, this so basically, guy... we're two. So your your top two wise are down. I mean, let's be real. Jameer Calvin is the only four star player on the entire offense. On the entire offense. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's the talent. The other one's the third string quarterback. Injured. Right. So, <laughs> you know, you're, that's the kind of talent you're taking out when he's injured. You went from Fourth thinking string you've got all these guys who, you know, all this talent and at receiver, and it's still true at outside, which is sort of bananas because you're just like, you know, you've yeah. got, you're at a point in the outside where you're talking about red shirting, you know, Calvin Jackson yeah. to save him for another year. But you know, and, and obviously he must not, you know, maybe they just feel that great about him on the outside or they just feel like he can't play inside because it because seems like he, he would, looks like a, he looks like receiver. he can play wide when he moves. You're like, that guy can yeah, play inside. Yeah, but, exactly. you know, I mean, again, as we've talked about, it's, it's probably easier to go from H to Y than it is to go from oh, X or Z to certainly, Y. So, yeah. Certainly. You know, so you know they probably figured. It's also you know, more of a blocking element yeah, to the H and Y. Yeah, and you just end up wasting a guy to to throw him in there. So I, you know, I don't know. I'm hopeful that the bye week. I mean, we can maybe talk about what we're hopeful about with the bye. Well, hopefully, week people for, get healthy. But. Yeah, that's the big thing, and you know, and maybe people get a little more comfortable. You know that you know, if, well, if, yeah, if you know if Bell has to yeah. stick there, then. You know, maybe he just gets a little more comfortable and, and the timing gets a little better and, you know, people, everybody just feels, um, you know, a little more confident about what they're doing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, is what it is. What about the defense, man? Like, uh, <laughs> we're, like we're they're just, we're, we're riding with that now. <laughs> they're terrible. <laughs> they're, 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 they're super terrible. They're they're as bad as as bad yeah. as we imagined after uh, and and I don't UCLA. think like this is the thing like I I I'm tempted to think Utah's offense is actually pretty good like well, I'm not uh, before the game they were I believe like 22nd in SP plus yeah, so it's I mean, like they weren't yeah that's pretty good so I think they're pretty good Huntley's um, pretty good Huntley's pretty good you know they're I, I'm not sure their receivers are all that great yeah that's but, the frustrating part but. but you know good enough but but here's the thing like the what happened to our defense in that game again was not getting just beat by better players or better whatever like it just it, it was just bad defense and that is so hard to watch when you know, it's one thing when you just get beat. It's another thing when it, it's like, you, you know, you're thrown to guys without def- that don't have defenders within 10 yards of them in any direction. Like that's, 
that's the kind of stuff where you just go like, what are we doing? You know, it's, we're not playing with Paul Wolf players out there. Like that was right. like, we understood when it was Paul Wolf players and you know, uh, what's his name the the you know the receiver for Oregon was like turning you know tumor around all the way into the end zone it was like you know we 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 sort of i mean it, it sucked but we understood it you know th- this makes no sense whatsoever like like really it makes we might be under talented i know there are people out there that believe that but we are not under talented to the point that that this should be happening shouldn't be a i don't even know what the the SP plus ranking is at this point, but, but like, uh, I mean, I would assume they're in the, the, you know, eighties, nineties worst defense in the country. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that, you know, like it's, um, well, Utah had 15, what they define as chunk and, plays here in the thing. And Tracy clays has really just never had a defense as bad. So like, it's, it's, you know, um yeah it's kind of it's it's crazy like uh just i so they're 84th by the way mm. offense still checking in at sixth even after that game so even after that yeah that's pretty wild so yeah but know, utah any, utah's I mean, offense you, up to 18th now did you see anything in the game that like influenced your or influences your thinking about the defense going forward or was it just no nope, it was the uh same? um it, it influ- like it, it took out of my mind that the the last quarter and a half against ucla was some sort of like fluky like crazy just, aberration like they were just like they were just like let they were just, thought they had won and they were coasting um it, i i just we we know that they're bad now right and uh, they're not going to play the next game. They're not going to play a tough offense. And so maybe they'll look a little better because of that. But at this point, I don't even know if they're good enough to, I mean, <laughs> I mean do you, do you feel like, do you feel good about going down to Arizona state and, and holding Arizona state under 30? No, dude. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I don't even care. Like, like, and I know, you know, Arizona state, like I, like, I don't, I'm like this, like, we're going to have to score in the thirties if we want to have a chance to win. Like, yeah, this is the worst defense since 2014. Well, what sure. doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and, and I don't know if you have, have thoughts on this, but it seems like there are more, you know, quote unquote, talented guys who aren't playing and you know, guys who are maybe a little bigger, a little more athletic, you know, whatever, however you want to define talented. Right. And those guys aren't playing. Okay. So, you know, again, so let's talk about the one that everybody tends to focus on, which is Lamont Lamont McDougal. Right. So that's the big one because he's, you know, we've, we've wanted, you know, a 300 pound McNugget in the middle for however many years. Right. This is our first like legit, you know, nose tackle type guy, space eater. Like, like we haven't had a guy like this, um, in a few years. Right. So maybe since like Robert Barber. Right. Okay. So, all right. So now, so he's not playing. Right. And, and there's like, okay, so why isn't he playing? Well, you know, is he just like, like, is he in the doghouse? Is he right? I mean, like, like what's going on? 
and then it'd be one thing if that was the only spot, but then you just, you know, you just kind of look and you go, okay, well, you know, why isn't Pat Nunn playing? Why isn't, you know, Tyrese Ross playing? Why is, you know, Armani Marsh playing who's, you know, a walk-on, a former walk-on, right? Like at corner, it's, you just kind of go like, well, why are these guys playing? And about the only thing you can conclude is that, you know, somewhere along the line, Tracy Clay's decided that it was more important to put the guys on the field who, I don't know, like he thought got it or understood what he wanted or whatever, which obviously is important. But when you've got that many spots where maybe oh Willie Taylor's another one right like so he right. like our guy who let us in like he he let us in sacks last year right or was close to it yeah just um, havoc let yeah us in like havoc. just a havoc dude he's barely playing right so I go I go how right I'm like how is that that you know we've got these guys and they're just not playing do we and, think and, Dom Civils is hurt is that so his he's he's not even practicing right now he's got like some sort of personal issue right that's right um, that's what i remember but right now, yeah. you know and and obviously you can sort of see with with the justice rogers situation you can see why they wanted to move civils back there you know yeah. kind of like uh you know we've we've got a problem here at Mike linebacker and we need, we need other solutions. Um, so you can see why they moved him there, but still it's like, you know, and look, and I'm not like Ron stone is the guy who's playing that position now. And he looks like he's got, you know, awesome potential. So I'm not, I'm not, this is not to like bag on him or anything. In fact, that's, that's probably the one spot where it's like, yeah, yeah this guy looks like he could develop into something really, really good. Well, okay, look fine. what, I mean, you look at, look at nickel. Too. Right. So like you've got Skylar Thomas down there and he's just getting torched all over the place. He's he's objectively bad in that position. And so it's like he's a safety. He's a safety. Right. So, you know, you just go, what are we doing? Right. What are we doing with personnel? What's driving our personnel decisions? And if you're like, well, it's because these guys get it or these guys will do what I want them to do or whatever. It's like, well, but, you know, isn't part of your job as a coach to like get more out of your guys like isn't that sort of your job to say okay look who are my most talented guys how can i get what i need out of them so that the this my unit can be as good as it can possibly be and and i don't know what the issue is on defense in particular but the word that just comes to mind is dysfunctional like it just looks dysfunctional wherever that's coming from whether it's coming from clays or some other you know some other uh, source on the defense it just looks dysfunctional and it reminds me of bresky defense where it was like dudes just didn't have a clue where they were going they couldn't keep up it was just it was a total train wreck and and something's got to get fixed um because i'm losing faith in tracy clays in a hurry yeah and then there's the whole lack of you know, player leadership or whatever, you know, lack of a defensive leader. And it's like, well, at some point that's got to be on the coaching staff too. Like you should be, you should be identifying those guys that are going to be your leaders, especially in certain positions, your mic and your whatever your or if, if you're not going to, or your free safety, you know, guys like that, like, but, but it just doesn't seem like there's anyone. And, uh, and, and it's, I know they lost like every single one of those leaders from last yes. year and Hunter Dale yes. and, and Peyton Pillour and Jalen Thompson. And, yes. and, uh, so, so yeah, I get that. But at the same time, 
it's not like this is a bunch of freshmen and sophomores playing like or a bunch of first and second year guys because even the sophomores are typically third year sophomores like there's there's you got to have someone up there like last year i mean they just uh yet it took one guy on the offense you know and i know quarterback's a different thing but but uh but yeah it's just uh it's it's like where what's going on here like it uh it's 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 getting frustrating and and it doesn't look like it's it's just we're gonna have to deal with this the rest of the year and that's why that's why it makes you know the prospect of any game like iffy going yeah, forward. I mean, I have zero i have zero hope that it's gonna get better um you know, unless about the only thing I, I could imagine changing their fortunes to any substantial degree would be substantial personnel changes, you know, and I don't even know if that creates, you know, an, an immediate improvement, you right. know, like for example, let's, let's talk about middle linebacker, right? So, so let's say this bye week gives them a chance to plug Travian Brown into Mike, right? right. He, he played, he did play a handful of snaps, mostly on obvious passing downs is where they had him. Um, which actually makes a lot of sense, right? Cause you're, he's, he's a little rangier, a little faster. Um, you know, so you put him in there when, you know, you need him to, to drop and, and cover a guy, but at the, or even potentially trying to chase down Tyler Huntley. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes some sense. So maybe the bye weeks used to, you know, slot him in there for more snaps. And if that's the case, great. You know, I, I don't know that that creates immediate returns, but maybe, you know, by the time we go through this three game stretch, have another buy, you know, now for the last month, you know, any personnel changes you've made really start to kick in, in that last month. Um, so, so I'm curious cause that, cause that's about the only thing that could lead me to, to think that, you know, maybe there's a, a potentially big change on the horizon with it. And, and I don't even know how capable they are of big change, but, um, I don't know. They just sort of like, that's about the only thing that could make me think maybe there's some hope, uh, beyond that, you know, if you're just trotting the same dudes out there who clearly aren't getting it, I, I don't think it's going to click. I mean, fans love this idea of things clicking, right? Like, Oh, it, it clicked. And it's like, Oh, remember when UCLA clicked? Yeah. And then they came out and scored 17 points against Arizona, right? Like UCLA did not click. We were just immensely shitty on defense. Right. And that's it. And it's like people try to overcomplicate things. You know, it's it's like things typically don't click like that, where res, like where what you are doing suddenly gets, you know, you, you go from the 85th defense in the country to like the 20th. Like that's you don't just simply start playing like the 20th best defense unless you're getting back a whole bunch of injured dudes or something. Like right. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, so uh um, rant over. Rant over. Um <laughs> So How's yeah. How's that for for hope? How's that for for optimism? God. Oh, just like I, okay, I'm so I mean maybe we should talk about this next week, but I'm just so like I'm so irritated that we have this offense and and there's just a trash defense with it. Like I know, I know the offense didn't play great in this game. That's fine. Like, like I think they're gonna play better going forward. I think Gordon's gonna learn a ton from that. I, I, like, I, I really, I, 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 like, I still have huge, huge hopes for the offense. But like, they are paired with this trash ass defense, and it's like, God, why, why? Anyway, maybe we talk about that next week. Yeah, or maybe I, I think, we don't. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe, maybe we will. Um, it's I, so I, irritating. 
I definitely have some ideas for that. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put that game to bed. Um, yeah, that, that sucked. Uh, we are who we thought we were, whatever you say. Um, pretty much. Um, but yeah, let's, um, I think we need to take a break. Man. <laughs> yeah, we haven't taken a break they're, yet. They're going to get mad at us. That's probably against take the a break. Nation rules. I know, right? All right. Um, we'll be back. We're going to talk about some hoops and some beer. And we're back. So what are you drinking, man? Dude, I am drinking... <laughs> I'm like halfway through it now, so I'm I'm a little. If I get, oh, I'm already that's done with why, my, I'm already done with the beer that I had picked up. That's, <laughs> I was gonna say, that's probably why I'm yelling more because I'm like yeah. I'm I'm getting deeper into this thing. So I had the uh, I'm having the Silver City, the Giant Made of Shadows, which is their Belgian strong ale. All so, right. Behold the giant. This strong, dark, malty Belgian style ale is rich in dark fruit, caramel, and coffee character. Run from the shadows, not from the giant. Alcohol by volume, 9.9%. Ooh. Mm. So, uh, definitely malty. Definitely malty. Probably more, more, more malty than what I typically go for. But it's tasty. I dig it. If you like, if you like that... Does um, have that, that Belgian of sort of profile. Belgian Belgian candy sugar sweetness to it? Yeah, it's it's. There's definitely that. I don't. Uh, I know it says there's some coffee flavor to it. I I'm definitely not catching much, if any, coffee. Um, but definitely the caramel. Those liars. The, yeah. The, the <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Um, but no, like the like the dark fruit. It it almost tastes a little bit like a like like a like a like a candied cherry kind of like a like a chocolate covered cherry kind of flavor um but yeah yeah it's good it's doing the job so you drinking so i um i'm using the the bye week this week to head on over to yakima and go to the fresh hop ale festival which i generally don't get to go to because usually there's a game in pullman the same weekend and I choose to go to that instead. Um, so yeah, I'm going to that. Um, I'm so also jealous. going to the Fresh Hop. There's a there's a, a hop company over there that does a Fresh Hop party on Friday. So I'm just going to Fresh Hop party on Friday night, and then the Fresh Hop Ale Festival on on Saturday. I procured a VIP ticket off Craigslist for like under what it normally costs. I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, so that gets me in an hour early and I get to imbibe all that. Cause one of the worst parts I hate about it is, is the lines at every festival. Yeah. Um, but that is truly one of the best festivals, uh, beer festivals I've ever been to. Um, so highly recommend it, um, in Yakima. Um, but yeah, so, um, in honor of that. So I started today off with a, a fresh hop crikey from Rubens. Oh, I've had that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. Pretty tasty. Uh, Crikey is a very classic IPA profile. Um, I believe they call it Crikey because they use some English hops in it. Um, but this is uh, this is uh, made with fresh hops. It's the it's they they change it. They just add that to the recipe. Obviously, um, it was pretty tasty. Um, nice classic IPA flavors. Your your pine. Um, pine notes, things like that. Um, you know, stuff that IPAs used to taste like before they made these designer hops that made everything taste like juice. 
um, which I am not complaining about. Um, and then I'm so Rubens, good job on that. I'm also having another fresh hot beer. Uh, this is kind of the, I think, kind of like the quintessential fresh hot beer, um, and it's a uh, Cowichee Canyon um, from Fremont. Um, probably the the one fresh hot beer that I look forward to every year. Um, so what this beer is um, made with is, I guess I'll just do the Jeff thing and just straight up read the instead of because <laughs> in, instead of instead of uh, going off my own knowledge, I'll go. So, um, Cowichee Canyon Fresh Hop Ale is brewed with select hops grown in the Cowichee Canyon of the Yakima Valley, which are harvested and placed in our kettle within 24 hours, preparing a unique once-a-year beer. That's basically them explaining what Fresh Hop beer is. <laughs> we yeah. make... Just we, in case you're wondering. Yeah. We make Cowichee Canyon Ale in partnership with hop growing wizards from the Yakima Valley in an effort to expand the hop industry in Washington State. Because hops matter. That's a play on there, because beer matters. Right. Um, so, a uh, portion of all sales fund the Cowichee Canyon Conservancy. Cowichee Canyon is runs between Yakima and Ellensburg. It's a beautiful area. Um, sometimes it's nice to just take that drive. It's a little longer, but... It's a beautiful drive. Highly recommend it. Um, if you get out of your car, watch out for rattlesnakes. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, otherwise, it's a pretty beautiful area. Um, and so basically, this is an organic hop farm. And basically give all of their hops to Fremont to do uh, the, these fresh hop beers. Um, and they usually do a couple variants of them. But I have only seen... Uh, they have their Field to Ferment series as well. Um, Fremont loves the Fresh Hot Beers. Um, but Cowage Canyon is probably their best one every year, I think. Um, they used to do, like... they had One was like Citra and Simcoe, and one was a different time. But I think... I don't know. Maybe they've just uh, just decided to make one beer now. I haven't they seen do, the other one. They do have their Farm to Ferment. Yeah, I know. That's why I said the field to ferment one. Yeah, or the field um, to ferment. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but no, they used to do the Cowage Canyon one oh, specifically. They did uh, different hop variants of it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So it's um. Yeah. It's a just a real classic fresh hop beer. It's I I really think it's the quintessential fresh hop beer because it's got this really golden body, um, and it's all about highlighting the hops. Um, but they actually do it well. A lot of breweries who try to make this style, which is fresh hop ale style which is typically you know yeah. like an ipa type thing but so but they'll, they'll typically get more vegetal and but fremont balances them out very well so that you don't feel like you're like biting into a hop but you still kind of taste the freshness of the hops as well so give like so for people who don't know what like like what's what's distinct about a fresh hop versus a regular you know dry hopped uh beer or whatever like 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 the 60 second explanation of what the difference is and why it only comes around once a year. So, um, you said dry hop, that's a different thing. Sorry. That's a different thing. Um, a dry, dry hopped is, uh, putting, uh, is when you hop the beer post boil, um, while, while it's fermenting essentially. Um, uh, that's very, that's very to give it aromatics and stuff basically just absorbs the oils from the hops and you get the aromatics. But anyway, so, but a uh, fresh hop beer is, uh, the reason that you see so many of them where we live is because, um, roughly 70% of the hops in the U S are grown in the Yakima Valley. Um, and then another pretty big chunk is grown in the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Um, so we have a ton of fresh hops, um, or a ton of hop farms. And so we can make these fresh hop beers because a fresh hop is when it's picked and then, uh, thrown in the beer within 24 hours of when you've picked it. So otherwise you'd go dry it out, pelletize it, whatever, you know, now they have cryo dust, whatever. 
this you just um, with some fresh hops they do let the, the hops dry and then throw them in if they don't let them if they don't dry them out like kiln they call them kiln dry them um, uh, then they uh, that's called a wet hop beer um, which is uh, I featured a wet hop uh, beer on uh, Baxter's beer a couple weeks ago um, the Silver City one uh, so yeah so uh, but basically fresh hop it's exactly what it means it's picked and thrown in the beer the same day um, and that's why it's very it's much easier for us to do it up here in the Pacific Northwest because the hops are a couple hours drive away for or you know in Yakima they're literally just brought on over from the farm and and so that's why um, that's why the Fresh Hop Ale Fest is in Yakima. Um, that's why that's the place to be for that, because that is where the because a lot of the brewers are going to Yakima not just to pick up fret, but this is the time of the year for hop selection as well. So brewers go there and they pick their hops, and then those are dried and pelletized and whatever, and then they 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 basically make they do these contracts for a few years of the hops. So if if you're if you're around Yakima. Um, if you go to like a um, sports center downtown on a, you know uh, on a late night on the like you might see a whole bunch of brewers from all around the country getting drunk so um, that's a it's a common thing I actually know a um, a, a, a guy who has a, a brewery called Wandering Hop which I featured on here before yep um, it's real close to um, uh, uh, one of the uh, hop hop uh, the big hop facilities down there and he uh during hop season um he he was when he first started he wasn't burning any pilsners or anything those take a long lot longer to make than like an ipa or something um but uh he would have freem pilsner on tap uh just so just so the brewer because brewers um uh kind of uh, famously like drinking lighter beers because they are typically drinking all day at work. Um, so they, uh, they, they like to drink uh, lighter beers, pilsners, things like that. They respect pilsners more than your average consumer because they know much harder, how much harder they are to make. Um, and so like they love to do that. But anyway, so yeah, Yakima is just uh, teaming with brewers this time of year. Um, if you're some sort of fanboy, uh, your favorite brewer might be just hanging around. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, what, what are some good ones that people might be able to like find pretty easily? Like, like is field to ferment that, that one should be pretty easy to yep, find. Definitely a good one. Anything for Fremont, the field to Membrane, Cowichi Canyon. Yeah. The fresh hop crikey should be pretty easy to find. If you yeah. It's pretty, it's, beer store. it's a few weeks old now. So, uh, it's probably gone most places at this point. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, because like if, if someone's not, you they're know, typically not fresh pa- hops. Yeah. Like, they're like, they're not, I feel like, yeah, you should try. So it. Like there's uh, I've seen one from seven seas that they canned. I haven't had it yet. Um, I'm, I'm going to go there this week, so I'll probably have it when I go there. Um, there, there aren't a lot of packaged ones that are from bigger breweries that are packed because it's hard to make it in a right. large scale because you have to be like a big enough brewery that can get that contract to, to make it like, but, um, yeah, so I, I, I wish I'd, I mean, honestly, it's the Fremont ones are the yeah. ones that everyone those can are find. Pretty easy like find. those are the, and, and if you're on draft in the Seattle area, Cloudburst makes a ton of them. Um, they, they won the, the. Uh, the uh, collaboration between them and Holy Mountain won the Fresh Uphill Fest last year. Ah, um, that's yeah, not surprising. Holy Mountain does a ton of them. Uh, you have to go there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Rubens did uh, the Fresh Hop Double Crush, which you could probably find at beer stores and stuff. It goes pretty quick, though, but um, that's definitely especially like Hazy's. Um, and then the uh, Silver City Wet Hop Tropic Haze, uh, pretty uh, easy to find as well. Um, Silver City has pretty broad reach. Um, yeah, so uh, you can definitely find a few. Um, t- truthfully, and I've told you this before, Jeff, um, they, they, it's usually like IPA pale ale styles that you'll see in Fresh Hop right. um, naturally because it's hoppy styles. But my favorite ones... Um, are always kind of these not hop, not typically hoppy styles that you put fresh hops in. So like Pilsners or Kolsch's. Like my favorite one last year was like a Kolsch from uh, Skookum. Uh, they did a fresh hop Kolsch and it was so tasty. Um, and then uh, this year I'm excited to try it. There's a, there's a new brewery in Olympia. Now I can't remember the name. It's like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, um, <laughs> it's like Humby Mumby or something. It's like some, damn it. Now I can't, now I can't remember. Um, but they, they have their, uh, they did a fresh shop, um, here, hold on. I can pull up red hots, uh, tap list and it'll tell me. Um, so they did a fresh hop, uh, German style Pilsner. Um, and, uh, one of my friends told me, and I haven't had it yet, but I did see that they put it on tap. So it's headless Mumby um from a new brewery in olympia actually funny enough about four blocks from where i used to live so um i probably would have they're a lager only brewery so that's why but but so that's i'm excited to go try that one uh fresh hop pilsner um so i highly recommend it um so varietal um out of sunnyside does a lot of like uh so they did they do a collaboration every year with holy mountain that's a keller beer uh, which is kind of a light of her style so i highly recommend if you see a fresh hop beer that is not an ipa or a pale ale try it because the brewery's probably super proud of it and it's probably really good um um so yeah uh i gotta so, yeah. do that so yeah headless mumby um I'm, pr- I'm gonna have to make it on down to uh red hot this week so i can get a get a glass of that before before it goes but yeah so fresh hop season i'm super stoked to imbibe and in hops this weekend and uh, i love that festival i'm really stoked i have a vip ticket so i get in an hour early don't have to wait in line i get food it's great um yeah it's just cool like i love fresh hop season because it's like it's just something different it's very unique obviously it's It's pretty unique unique. it's unique to the northwest and it only happens once a year yeah, yeah. And that's it. Like you can only get these beers in late September, early October, and that's it. And then it's and then they're gone. And you know, there's there's an element of that that that's kind of cool. It's just a different, it's a different flavor profile. Like like you said, it's 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 kind of got this you know kind of earthy, you know, like you said, I think you used the word vegetal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, flavor to it. But it's like it's like this intense you know intense hoppy experience. And you know, it's I, I dig it because it's you know you drink so much beer all year long and, and you get these different takes on, um, you know, different styles, but there's only one time a year where the ingredients actually will do this one particular thing. Exactly. So it's yep. cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so, uh, Sierra Nevada is one of the rare breweries outside of the North Pacific Northwest that, um, does them. They actually have them like flown in, um, that day. Um, so they can brew the beer. Um, that they buy enough hops to where they can, you know, get that made. And they actually do, they do a, they do a Northern hemisphere fresh hop beer 
and then they do a southern fremish southern hemisphere fresh hot beer as well so they fly them in from new zealand and australia to do fresh hot beer which that one comes out at a different time of year it comes out in uh in what is our spring and their fall so it's pretty cool um another one that uh, lagunitas their california brewery that does fresh hop ones it's called born yesterday um highly recommend that one too that's actually one that you can probably find i i don't know if they do it anymore um but it was pretty easy to find when they did do it so um yeah go out and try a fresh up here if you haven't um it's hard to miss if you live in the northwest right yeah. now just go to your favorite watering hole they'll probably yeah. have one on tap yeah, they probably will all right basketball what do we got we signed a guy yeah surprising um very surprising yeah, uh, we because we all thought they were full. We thought they didn't have any space. <laughs> we they didn't have any scholarships. Thought it was just all taken up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah. So you uh, you wrote up on a wrote up a profile. So yeah. once you once you get into, uh, I know that you you saw it as filling a need. Get into why 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 to fill a need. Yeah. So, well, one thing we know about Kyle Smith is, is he does like to have uh, two ball handlers on the floor at all times. And, and that's, that's kind of a big deal for him. Um, and, and I think he also prefers to have, uh, it, it, mostly I think he prefers to have combo guards, right? He wants guys who can do multiple things. Um, not that, you know, most coaches don't, right? <laughs> like, I think if you ask a basketball coach, would you like a guy who can only pass or only shoot or can do both? And it's like, right. So, you, I mean, you obviously want the guys who can do both, but, um, it's this not is a guy, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, so Jalen Shedd is a guy, he, uh, so grad transfer, uh, coming to us from Texas state, uh, the Bobcats, right? Well, I'm impressed um, immediately. Yeah. Well, one oh. thing to know is that Texas state finished ahead of, well ahead of us yep. in the Ken Palm, <laughs> the Ken Palm efficiency rankings. So, uh, they won 24 games last year. Uh, so this is a guy who uh, who has some experience winning. I don't I, I don't know how much of a difference that actually makes, but you know he, he does come from a successful place. Um, he was uh, he started all of their games, and was a guy who was a pass first uh, facilitator. And um, he only averaged eight points, but he averaged five assists and averaged also four rebounds. I'll get I'll get to that in a sec because I think that's actually a really really big deal, but. Um, you know, f- eight points and five assists, uh, didn't take a whole lot of shots. What for are them. these stats you're using? I'm, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, um, I'm annoyed so, right now. well, just hold on pal. I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. Um, so when we talk about the assists, uh, he assisted on about 30% of his teammates makes last year, which, uh, is, is actually quite a bit. Yeah, that's uh, 70th nationally among all yeah, players. Yeah, I think it was second or third in his conference. So, yeah. um, so that's a really good rate to to be the guy who's assisting on your teammates uh, on your teammates' buckets. For context, WSU's leader was Amit Ali, and he was at 25 and a half percent. So when he was on the floor, one out of every four makes that WSU had was assisted by Ali. Um, so this is a guy who is assisting on roughly a third. 
of his teammates' buckets. So that's a pretty high rate. Um, he only took 14% of his team's shots when he was on the floor, which is a, a very low number. It's a very, very low number. Um, that was easily lowest among their starters and, and was really, as I wrote in the article, was was is pretty comparable to like basically what Vionte Daniels did when he was on the floor. Um, so if you, if you think about how rarely he shot, just basically spot-up threes, um, that's about how often this guy was shooting. But he is sort of a, you know, he will get to the free throw line, which was a, a skill that Vionte Daniels um, never really developed. Relative to the amount he shoots. Relative to the amount right. he shot. So it's, right. not like so, he's, it's not like James exactly. Harden out there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So since he's not shooting a lot of shots, um, what you see is when you see kind of a stat profile like this where a guy is assisting on a lot of shots, not taking a lot of shots himself, but also posting a pretty high free throw rate, which is the ratio of free throw attempts to shot attempts. So basically what that tells you is this is a guy who's who's kind of a drive and kick kind of guy. He's not afraid yep. to get into the lane, um, but he's also kind of looking to find other people when he gets in there and then attack the rim if if the opportunity presents itself. So, um, so he profiles as that kind of guy, and frankly, we don't really have that kind of exactly. guy on the roster. Yeah. Um you know, we don't have a, a you know, a pass first um, kind of guy. I think that you could say Gervais Robinson is that kind of guy, but I think there's um, there's really no doubt in my mind that, that this new guy, uh, Jalen Shedd, is a, is, a, is a more talented player um, than Gervais Robinson because Robinson kind of fits that mold stylistically but is just not quite there talent wise. So, so there's that piece. And then the other piece is, is those rebounds that I mentioned, um, you know, his rebound rate was, I want to say about 16%. 16. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really big number for a guard. Um, typically you expect those guys to be like 10 to 12%. Um, so 16% of the D of the, sorry, 16% of the other teams misses he's rebounding when he's on the floor. And again, that that's a pretty large number. Your your superior rebounders like your your like really really good ones are like 25% and above. So, um to get 16% out of a guard um, is a really good number. And in fact, I think I said that the only two regular rotation players for WSU last year who were higher than that was Robert Franks and CJ Ellaby. And, so, and, so that kind of gives like you a sense. not 6'10 Jeff Pollard. Right. Like <laughs> that gives you a sense of of just how good he is at crashing the board from the point guard position. And and that's a really huge, um, you know, when we look at the stat, like basically the year-to-year profiles from Kyle Smith, one of the things that's always consistent is that his team's defensive rebound. And so uh, for this guy as, as a six-foot-one point guard um, to crash down and constantly be crashing down on the glass um, is, I, I'm sure, something that was really attractive to Kyle Smith. So, yeah, really cool addition. Um, you know, I, I – think he probably ends up being the starter at point guard right away to be honest um i think that before you were maybe looking at a combo of you know maybe isaac bonton and 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 uh you know maybe marvin cannon kind of playing the two guards and then cj be playing the three and then basically Ellaby and bonton could be the or maybe it's Bonton. I don't know how you pronounce it, but um, those two guys could kind of be your ball handlers. I, I think there's a pretty decent chance this guy steps immediately into that role. And then the two guard, I, you know, I'd guess Bonton, but maybe not. Maybe Cannon, um, Ellaby at the three, and then and then probably uh, you know Pollard at the five. And 
I'm drawing a blank on the other grad transfer that's probably going to start at the four. But um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But you could also go Ellaby at the two and then, you know, maybe go a little bigger at the three. So, you know, there, he kind of has a lot of options with this team because um, you don't really look at the roster and think, you know, oh, yeah, these are clearly like your five or six best players. Like he's got a lot of parts that do kind of some different things, which I think is a real advantage for a guy who who is uh, who's a pretty good coach. So, um, you know, yep. it's, it's a nice little roster, you know, and this is a guy who's a grad transfer. So, you know, he's the grad transfer is replace him. Dion James, by the way. Dion James. There we go. Yeah. So anyway, so he's brought in a couple of grad transfers. Those guys will play. They'll be gone in a year. You replace yeah. them with younger guys. If they suck, they're gone. Yeah, that's like <laughs> that's a good way to think of it. Yeah, like that's um, that's how he's built the roster. Is he's got fresh? He's got he he had a ton of spots to fill, and we've already talked about this. But honestly, yeah. most of the people that are listening probably didn't hear that. Probably because um, that was like <laughs> they probably in, in haven't been April. with us since April. Yeah. So, uh, but he basically took all those spots a ton of spots like a like a lot and and he and he didn't just go sign a bunch of freshmen he did sign a bunch of freshmen but he not did a, sign a bunch of freshmen not an not, not an abnormal number of freshmen right. Right. um like he he didn't like we I, it's funny i i just think of the volleyball team what what they're doing right now is like um when greeny came in she she had to replace a bunch of people and now they have this cycle where they have like 10 freshmen on the right. team at a time. And that's hard. And that's hard. And and so you can see that. Um, well, Tony uh, and, Bennett got into that cycle Tony, too. Tony Bennett got into that as well. It's Because when Dick Bennett came on, they basically just cleaned house. And, yeah, and they took one junior college player. Yep. And um, Jeff Verum. And yep. then everybody else was freshmen. Yep. And it worked out really well, but 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 then it, then then Tony kind of bailed <laughs> when he graduated. he kind of bailed after <laughs> he's like ah, yeah yeah but uh but uh but yeah so but he basically he signed a couple grad transfers another couple you know another uh, transfer in there another uh, you know Bonton and in there and so well, there's it, only there was only I think two junior college guys yeah so it was Henson and Bonton yep. And, and so, yeah. so we didn't rely, we didn't over rely on Juco guys. And those, those are two guys who I, I think were pretty well respected Juco guys. Yeah. Like it was like, oh yeah, like th- these are kind of legit Juco guys, not the, the fringy Juco guys that Ernie can't. Yeah. So basically sign. you inject some, you inject some age into your uh, roster. It's really, and the grad chances are really nice because they're not just, they're not, they, they've played in division one basketball right like, so it's it's you know right. they're they're experienced they didn't they haven't played at they haven't played you know pac-12 but honestly is pac-12 basketball that much better than mountain west basketball at this point no not really not really um uh <laughs> well, obviously shed doesn't do come to play west, some but, of yeah. that level of competition right i mean you, exactly. you go play these teams in non-conference it's not like it's not like they've never seen a, a pac-12 team before you know so yeah, I mean, I I really you, you just gotta like how he built the roster, and then he brings in a freshman like Noah Williams, you know, and he's right. got Markovetsky, you know, Mar- yeah, yeah. I mean, that was we we were pretty stoked on him, yeah. Back in Still the, the back, that, yeah, him. like I've kind of forgotten like all the things I was, but yeah, like he's got a seven footer coming in, man. He's got. <laughs> Yeah, like there's there's guy and then so he brought in guys that you can see he can work with in the future, but he brought in a lot of guys that can actually make the team better. So like you were talking about um uh with Shed, Jalen Shed is that he is an upgrade over like 
over Gervais Robinson. Yep. So Robinson now, instead of having to be your starting point guard, is right. is a maybe or giving you fifteen minutes off the bench. You know, now he's probably bumped out of the rotation. Yeah, and and so and then if he has to come in the rotation, it's fifteen minutes at the most, and so so it's like you know ten five ten minutes. So it's yeah, and it's so you it feels like you know we we'll have to see once they start playing but it feels like he's up upgraded the roster yeah um which even when when he was hired that's not even what we were just just the fact that he has you know principles that he coaches to and think the ability to coach the ability to coach uh (laughs) i don't know why i'm man if you you should okay if you're new to this just if i was going to recommend any episode just go find the Ernie Got Fired episode and listen yeah, to that, that was one. A good one. That was that was if you want to hear us at our That's best. gonna be like an all time greatest. Yeah, like I'll always recommend that one. But uh, yeah. but yeah, and, and, and it's timeless. It's it's fine. Um also when Kyle Smith got hired episode, you should probably listen to that one as well. Yeah. That um we'll probably too. recommend that one again when the season starts up. But um practice is about to start. Um so we're actually gonna see um and, practice and I think, started on Friday. Oh, did it already? Did they not yeah, do a Midnight did. Madness type thing? Or? They they didn't. They didn't do one this year. Or my, I don't know if they're going to maybe do. Well, see, practice starts so early now. No, I have um, a question for you. This like, it's crazy to think that ba- college basketball practice started in September. Like, that's well, because the game starts anyway, so early. I know. So, but so think about this. So when uh, when Dick Bennett came on, he um, and Tony Bennett did this too. Uh, the, he stopped the uh, turning the lights off for the intros, like the for he stopped the whole like introducing the players and turning the lights off and doing the spotlight and all that. Do you think Kyle Smith is gonna do the spotlight, <laughs> turn off the lights thing? I don't know. <laughs> he uh, he's he's funny, man. He just like he strikes me as the kind of guy that would. They would think that was cool. So I no, yeah, I like, think he would. Like I, that's why I, I want to see what you're thinking. Like, I definitely he's think like, he would. I yeah. mean, he's just so like. I, I mean, I'm telling you, like he, personality listen, wise, he is in no way similar to Dick Bennett. Like, like no, no, <laughs> and not Tony either. Like there is no. It's funny because he's like, I want to be Tony Bennett and John Beeline, and it's like he definitely does not have the aw shucks, you know, personality of those dudes. Like oh, it's it's not. Man, it is not the same. And he, you know, what you see in the, um, having sat in a, in a room with him for, for 20 minutes, it's like, and I know 20 minutes is just like 20 minutes, but, um, you know, what you see on, on, on interviews and what you hear and, and all that stuff, like he, like, like that is legit. Like, like the energy, the, um, just the holy crap, this is so amazing. Like all of that is legitimate and it's real and it's 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 super endearing. Like we don't, you know, when I, I mean, there's going to be the inevitable comparisons to Ernie Kent. Well, did right? you did you see the picture of him wearing Anthony Gordon's oh, yeah. community college jersey? He got an Anthony <laughs> Gordon community college football jersey that he wore out to practice one day. And it's like, who does that, right? So apparently, you know, obviously he's, he was coaching in San Francisco. He knew yep. the equipment manager at City College down there. And 
scored himself a drink. It's hilarious, you know. So he is like he is all in on being a Coug, which I love. Um, he still thinks it's the coolest thing in the world that he's coaching at, you know, a Pac-12 school, which I love. And, you know, obviously um, his wife is from here. And, yeah, and there's just so he's no... he's excited about that. You know, I mean, again, the, the comparisons between Ernie and him are going to be so, like, frequent just because that's inevitable, right? But, you know, you're going to see him and you're, like, like, Ernie walked in like, I'm... Ernie fucking Kent and you should bow before me and it was I'm gonna fix this and and you're just like okay I guess you know and like Kyle Smith is just like yo this is the greatest thing ever I just I love this so much this is so awesome I just I love being a coog and you're just like and it's so genuine and you know we used to joke right like we'd uh, we'd call Ernie Kent you know the head you know snake oil salesman right like like yeah and I think that like in Kyle this Smith's guy, mind, he's no probably like ahead of. About he's probably Kyle like Smith. this is probably like ahead of schedule for him. Yeah, like he, he's he is tickled. Like, listen, like Kook fan. I, I know we talked about this back on that episode, so if people go listen to it, whatever. But it's like, you know, Kook fan wrote however many, you know, twenty five articles on how nobody wants this job, and he is absolutely tickled to have this job. Like he is just like, are you kidding me? I'm in the fucking Pac-12. This is amazing. You know, and it's like, you know, I don't even care like about like the resources or whatever. I've got 8,000 more resources here than I ever had at San Francisco or Columbia. So this is a, this is awesome. You know, so it's, you love him, you know, you gotta, it's just, it's great. It, it's awesome. By the way, one thing I want, I want to say, so I don't know if you knew this. I, I actually um, found this out recently. So Back again when we did those episodes and then we kind of put it aside. Um, John Andershek, who's the uh, director of analytics, right? Turns out, so we talked about this before, he was uh, an assistant coach sort of for recruiting purposes during the offseason. Well, it turned out he got uh, retained as an assistant coach. So that's like super badass. Like, yes. I love the fact that one of our three, so you only get three assistants, right? Who can actually coach the players. So this is a guy who was coaching, you know, a year ago was coaching at John Hopkins university. Right. And, and goes back to Kyle Smith days at Columbia, right. Where he's, right. where Andershek was a student. Um, and then, uh, you know, for him to, to follow Smith here, to leave an assistant job, which I know it's Pac-12 and all that stuff, but but it's hard for coaches to leave those coaching jobs. You know, he was leaving the a coaching job. The actual paid, like, right. <laughs> like well, and you, and paid you a living coach. salary, you get a and coach. And you legit like, get to coach. Like, yeah. that's, you know, when you are the, um, whatever his position was supposed to be here, where he was director of analytics slash, you know, director of basketball, DB, yeah, DB, or whatever, yeah, yeah. right? Um, you know, you, I mean, you, yeah, yeah, you, you can kind of coach around the fringes, right? But if you do any more than that, it's an NCAA violation and, you know, whatever. So now he's, he's a legit coach and he gets the coach coach. And that is like a super cool deal for him. Like, like I'm, I'm so excited for him. Um, and not only that, but we have again, a, and a full fledged assistant coach on our staff who is uh, 100% committed to analytics and is the, um, sort of the analytics dude, the analytics brain behind the machine there. Um, and we also have a head coach who values that enough to bring a guy on like that and, and, and work through that. So, um, I am just, I, I'm tickled for the, like, like just as tickled as Kyle Smith is to be coaching the Pac-12. Wait, and then, uh, tickled for this whole thing. I think you were going to get to his tweet. Yeah. So there was a, so one, uh, it was a tweet from, um, actually Jordan Sperber 
who right. is uh, so if you if you are a uh, a basketball a college basketball fan and you don't follow Jordan on Twitter if you're not on Twitter uh, if you are on Twitter and you don't follow him you're doing it wrong you should follow, follow him. if you're on YouTube follow if you're him on, on YouTube there. you're doing it wrong you should definitely subscribe to his hoop vision channel um, he's just so he was he's a guy who is rooted in analytics um, he actually won a contest called stat geek idol once upon a time um, where basically all these like analytics college basketball analytics dudes solicited like stories they basically just said hey give us your best you know data analysis and we'll judge it and and some of the judges were like none of these names will mean anything to anybody but Kel- kevin pelton was on the on the list yeah. if you're like you know an espn person you may recognize that name um so anyway there were all these judges that were like super famous in the analytics community um and so he actually won that well then he sort of parlayed that into an actual like assistant coaching job um, where he was working with uh, Chris Jans at New Mexico State. And then he eventually kind of stepped out of that. And now he's doing like this kind of like really cool marriage of coaching and analytics where he's looking at data and he's doing it as like an Breaking down offenses. Yeah, he's like doing it as like an independent dude where he's looking at data, but he's also like breaking down offenses as a coach and is sort of marrying these two things together. So that all brings us back to the tweet that you referenced, which is um, where he basically took, you know, did this like metric look at, okay, given the history of a program, right? What, like when you look at Ken Palm ranking, where do they typically end up as a program? Um, which coaches are the most above or below what that program typically is? Um, number one, okay. So number two was Kyle Smith. Well, okay. Number two so hold of, on, coaches, I wanna... of coaches that have coached at least five years. Right. So Chris Beard is number one. Yes. But he's only two years in. But he's only two years to, in. So Tony Bennett was number one for oh, coaches. That's what I was trying to get to. Sorry. You spoiled my, you spoiled my surprise. Well, that's you right. were, you were being wrong about it. I know. So I, well, I, I mean, I wasn't wrong. Yes, just, you were. You know, whatever. Anyway. Well, I was trying to get there. So number two was Kyle Smith. Among coaches uh, with at least five years, with the with the time that he spent at Columbia and the time that he spent at San Francisco, like those are programs that have traditionally been, you know, Columbia has traditionally been horrible, like a like a three hundred type team, you know, ranked in the in the Ken Palm like three hundred ish, and then you know you've got a team like San Francisco, which was traditionally like in the one fifty to two hundred range, and he's had his teams consistently above that. So super cool accomplishment for him. And then of course, no surprise, Tony Bennett's the other one uh, with what he did at WSU and, and, and at Virginia. So yeah, that's, that's like, I mean, you know, again, who knows if he can duplicate that here, but I think that's a pretty good proxy of, you know, just the idea the, of who you know, can quote unquote coach. You know who right? looks around number three? I don't know. I didn't look at it that close. Kelvin Sampson. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. That I, I, I and I think this is probably as good of a statistical. So is WSU just amazing at hiring basketball coaches? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, mostly, except for the whole when, like Kevin East when they're coming up and they're not thing. Yeah. yeah, if you find them young. Yeah, and Kyle Smith is relatively young. Yeah, I you mean, know, he's, he's, he's not Tony Bennett. Young. He's young he's in youngish. He's young in terms of head coaching years. Sure. Yeah, because I think I uh, was. I mean, he's what not is he, like about how old is he? Years? He's not fifty yet, right? Like, isn't he like forty nine or forty eight, something like that? I think that's about right. 
I think he's yeah. close to 50. He was born Something in 1969, like so he is turning... He's either, he turned he's either 50. 50 or almost 50. He, he turned 50 on, in he, August. He, yeah, he okay. turned 50 in June. Turned 50. So. Um, yeah, so he is fifty, which is young, is pretty young for a. That's, I mean, that's relatively for a high level young. basketball in a, coach. in a career where you can coach into your sixties pretty easily. Like that's not a, that's not certainly not old. Certainly not old. So yeah, so yeah, yeah and if you're if you're new to the podcast, uh, hi, welcome. We are super stoked about college. and we Smith. love basketball and we love basketball. Um, so you're going to hear about it. <laughs> you're maybe we'll split them up. I don't know. We probably won't. We don't have time. Yeah. For that. I don't know. When's uh, our first game? What, what's the first game? November, like mid November. Yeah. November 8th or something. Yeah. There you go. But so, yeah. Um, so we won't kill them with basketball between now and then though. Yeah. Well, yeah. This will probably be one of the rare times. But this week made it, it was, made sense. So let's, no so I want to, there's one more thing because, because, Patron was able to hire a basketball coach and because it's it's a coach you can actually build some excitement around the analytics and nerd ball which they should go with not the what did they call it data data raid data no. raid no nerd no. ball no, no, no nerd ball nerd ball is perfect yeah nerd like ball is perfect it's perfect Just like don't don't mess with perfect but anyway so now we have the basketball team something that's more kind of promotable um, something more interesting, and I and what one thing that they are doing, one that Chun we've seen um, very much is about tapping into like the all-time greats at WSU. Yes, he is, and which is like a no-brainer and totally crazy that nobody's really done it before him. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You, it, I mean, obviously, you cannot do it and then be good enough to get hired as the AD at Nebraska, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Dear God, you almost made me spit out my beer, <laughs> asshole. That was almost on my computer. Um, but yeah, so so part of that is uh, they're uh, bringing uh, Clay Thompson back to Pullman, uh, partially because he can't play for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, that helps. Um, yeah, uh, uh, but he uh, he's coming back on January 18th when they yeah. play Oregon State. How cool is and that? And they're retiring his jersey, which is pretty badass. Pretty badass. It's like super cool. I hope the place is sold out and just like totally bonkers for Clay. Yeah. I don't know if it will be. I'm going. I'm going. Well, I, I, well as you know, as you know, um, just in support of the hire, I bought season tickets. Yeah. So, um, I may not make it to very many of those because it's a long drive in the yeah. winter. Um, but uh, I'm going to try to get to, you know, at least a few. Uh, and, that one will be awesome. And Oregon State figures to be, you know, perhaps a little down yeah. this year. So uh, that's a good one. So the the game's against Oregon State. Yeah. And there was only, there was only three, mention. there was only three Saturday Pac-12 games. Uh, one's UCLA, one's UW, and Oregon State. So obviously they chose the one with the probably would have been the least draw anyway. So uh, Arizona's the one. They do play Arizona on Sunday. I'm talking about Saturday. They probably Arizona's wanted to do Arizona's on Saturday, February first. Are you sure? But yeah, at home. Yes. Yes. But that's okay. okay fine. Whatever. <laughs> U-dubs, wrong, on Craig. U-Dubs on Sunday. That's yes, I U-Dub is Sunday two. the following. But anyway, Arizona. It's Does that fucking ruin my point? No. no. Arizona, <laughs> like, definitely a better draw than Oregon State anyway. Yes. yes so, fuck you, is, Jeff. 
That is, you are correct. If you're if you're trying to get butts in the seats, Oregon State's a good one to play. And again, you you might actually I, look. We don't know a whole lot, so it's like we're, we're sort of guessing. But I think probably Oregon State is a higher probability for a win than say you know yeah. Or, you want it to be the all happy or UCLA. Day. The all so. happy day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how good any of any are any of the teams good. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> they might all be terrible. Yeah, you know? like at home, you probably have a decent shot of beating any team in the Pac-12 if your team is not coached by Ernie Kent. So I will say, if uh, if Bill Moose was still in charge, we probably would have had like the jersey retirement on December twenty first twenty first against Incarnate Word. Yeah, like it would have been something like that. Oh like, yeah! Come on down right before Christmas. Uh, Incarnate word. He wouldn't even have done it though. Either. No, he wouldn't have. He just would have been like, "I'm riding my dude." Tractor. Clay, Clay's got some money. Let's get some money from him, man. He just sent a well, big ass contract. Yeah, but I mean, like that's the thing. Like that's with with Chun. It's like you know, yes, Clay has money. Yes, this is probably a brazen attempt to flatter Clay. And is it going to work? Probably. Probably. Like, like that's the thing. Like that's what all of this is. Like, also, like, like Clay is always like, like Clay's like, under no illusions that they want his money. But it's like, come on, like this is how the well, game is played. You does know? he have control of the money, or does Dad well, have control of them? <laughs> I know, Michael. Michael, I'm sure is going have to approve any payments but you know i mean it's <laughs> but look, clay is look, obviously chun gets it chun gets it and we've obviously let this you know we obviously have screwed that up for the better part of three or four decades you know once you know really pro sports salaries exploded um chun really gets the fact that it's a good idea <laughs> it's a good idea to keep your rich alumni yeah it's uh, it's close it's, to the program it's not yeah it's not it's not a coincidence that you've just seen alumni around more. It's not a coincidence. No, it's not He's a coincidence at all. Um, yeah, and it, and it and uh, the funny thing is, like, uh, like it didn't like I think for the students that were there when Clay played, but like the alumni that like watched on TV. I don't know. You remember writing about this? Like, Clay was not that like beloved no he wasn't like there was all that like Perry is a pony oh, face clay pouts he's a pony face. face like and i think part of it was because they didn't go to the tournament but whatever no that's like 100 percent of it but, I, but it's that's it's, like not even part of it that's yeah all of it but it's it's like well i mean he, he was playing with like other dudes like he was the best player to ever play on our campus and it's not even debatable yeah, like it's not even debatable. Well, like and it can't. And then, and uh, then, because he's been so successful, because he's been so successful in the NBA, now like every Coug is oh, like, yeah. oh, we love him yeah. so much. I mean, we see what I always love Clay. I always, always thought he had him. the prettiest jumper. Yeah, like uh, I want to slap every one of those people. Yeah, I know, but yeah. So now it's like now because he's been so successful in the nba he's so loved and like he's just loved beyond wsu people he's got yeah. his own following and so uh, uh which we're very familiar with now and yeah with gardner Minshew. yeah um, well i for one am thankful because yeah i, I think it's had, great. i haven't had the sonics for a decade and clay gives me a great reason to follow the NBA to be a fan like yeah. I can be a fan of, and I know a lot of people oh, I don't like Golden State whatever no no like I love Golden State because they've got clay <laughs> and so you know and they're on TV like 
twice a week every yeah, we've, week we've so yeah exactly no, i'm like, totally i'm totally okay with being a front-running fanboy with the golden state warriors i have i make no apologies for that whatsoever yep it's fun yeah go clay um go clay and go to go to pullman on january 18th people yeah it should be fun man I, yeah it like just don't worry ass. about the pass will be fine it'll be clear yeah i'm sure there won't be any problems yeah Snoqualmie is easy. Psh, easy. Just get your Subaru out back. Yeah. I'm over the mountains. Well, the funny thing is now I know I can go to the bass. I like was more confident in buying basketball tickets because we bought an all-wheel drive <laughs> RAV4. all-wheel drive vehicle. Yeah. So we have an all-wheel drive vehicle now. So And you haven't driven it in the snow yet. Let me tell you. So we, we have the Outback, right? So that's why I said that. Like when we got that. I was like, ah, what? My, how big of a difference can the all-wheel drive make? And then it snowed, and then I was like, holy shit, this is well, that's amazing. The thing. You have to have the fear <laughs> put into you by driving a non, like a, a bad car that's bad in the snow. Yes. And then you get, and you so you still have those tendencies. Especially something that's like rear-wheel drive or something. Yeah, you have those like scary tendencies when you get in the snow, and then you're still driving like that, but you have the all-wheel drive, so yeah. so like there's no problems. The problem is like people get all-wheel drive and they're like, "I am invincible now." <laughs> yeah, that is true. Like, That's the worst. That's actually the worst. So you go from it being like the best to the worst in like a second. Yeah, like nothing. Really, nothing is good to drive in the snow. No, never drive in the snow. That is true. But also. But if you have to. But, it, but if but if you know how to drive in the snow, and all-wheel drive just makes it so much better. That is true. It does. It really does. 100% true. Like, you just feel a lot better. Um, all right. So yeah. Are we done? I, I think we're done. We're talking we're about done. all-wheel drive vehicles. We're talking about all-wheel drive vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what we've become. Uh, people should subscribe. Yeah, you should subscribe. Yeah, and rate us uh, five stars if you feel like it, because that'll help people find us. And I know you heard some F-bombs. We are rated yeah. E for yeah. explicit. If you hate us, send us a strongly worded email instead of leaving us a bad review. We'd appreciate yeah. that. That's at podcastversuseveryone at gmail.com. That's right. It's uh, We've only got a few guys that email us occasionally on there. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you know who you are. Um, but uh, and we but appreciate the, those. By and way. we appreciate those emails. We love the feedback. Um. But uh, yeah, just uh, do that and uh, subscribe and rate us and please do that because then more people can find us and listen to us. And also and find the Kook Center Hour. Yeah, the Kook Center Hour is on our feed. You can get that every week as well. That's right. So that's good stuff. <sighs> All right. So um, enjoy your bye week, Jeff, and go Cougs. Go Cougs.